there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Well, it is Veterans Day here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday version of Veterans Day with Dr. Rasha Batar, who is also a veteran himself, and serving veterans. Uh, Dr. Batar, i got to ask you, have, have any military veterans ever come to you, sought you out for help? Oh, yes, many times. We've had uh, a few dozen, I would say, at least. How many of them had already been through the VA? We talked last hour with a, a veteran by the name of Roger Martin who, who started something called Grow for Vets, and now it's a, a, an organization that has grown quite quite large called HeroGrown.org, and they're getting cannabis to veterans with PTSD and other conditions. Uh, and, you know, as they say, say, these people are being hammered by the military when they go in, when they come out. There's no holistic care for these people. There's no detoxification. The things you talk about in advanced medicine and the nine steps to keep the doctor away, none of this is being given or done for those vets who have served their country. Yeah, the answer to your question is all of them. They all had, they all had uh, been to the Veterans Administration, gone through the hospital, gone through the system. And it was not, um, uh, most often, it was not successful for them. They were not able to address their concerns that what, what led them to the to seek medical attention in the first place. And yeah. you know, just on a side note, the Veterans Affairs, they are pretty anemic when it comes to being able to provide any definitive resources. Even some of the conventional things that the system may end up benefiting people, it just it, it, they just don't get anything. I mean, this is another, uh, I have to say, strike against socialized medicine, because let's be honest about what the VA medical system is. It's a socialized system, and there's not an incentive to really care for the patients. I'm not saying that, that there's nobody in there that cares for the patient. You know what I mean? But the system is so overwhelming and, 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 and just drowning in bureaucracy. Innovation can't right. happen there. There's no holistic, integrative, uh, natural medicines. They don't do homeopathy. They don't do herbs. They don't do detox. I don't know if they even offer chelation for heavy metals. Uh, no, they don't. They definitely don't offer that. Uh, I think what the uh, closest was was the uh, Walter Reed Army Hospital System that actually allowed for uh, some veterans to seek some type of heavy metal uh, detoxification through chelation based upon the original studies that were done and the, the VA, um, sorry, not the VA, but the, the Walter Reed was going to do a project. This is before the, um, what was it, it was the um, National Institute of Health did their big study in chelation. So this is, this was a precursor to it. So it wasn't through the Veterans Administration, but it was through Walter, uh, Walter Reed. Army yeah. Reed, Walter Reed Army Hospital, yeah. So we, t- we spent a lot of time talking with Roger last hour about the horrific treatment of the vets when they come home, uh, much less those who have lost their lives serving their country in the battlefield. But the battlefield begins when they're injected with who knows how many antigens when they sign up. And I, and I talked about, you know, my son just graduated high school, and, you know, you have young sons in college or in high school age as well. And, I, you know, I, I'm not opposed, I'm not anti-military, but I would not endorse my son joining the military simply because they 
turn their bodies over to the medical industrial complex. The moment they sign up, they have no autonomy over what goes into their bodies. Yeah, we talked about this, uh, I guess it was a couple of Memorial Days ago, or maybe it was on one of the Veterans Days that we had our show on when we yes. talked about that movie called Jarhead. Mm-hmm. And it actually demonstrated how soldiers were being tailed, told to take certain types of drugs, uh, even in formation. They were inspected. The pills had to be seen going, in, going into the mouth. The squad leaders would inspect to make sure that the soldiers had actually swallowed the pills. Um, and in that particular movie, you see uh, the soldier actually spit it out and um, afterwards, after the, he's been inspected. And that is very common. That's not, that's not a, an anomaly or something rare. Uh, so I would agree with you. For my own children, um, I am proud of the time that I served in the military. I'm very fortunate to have spent time in the presence of uh, some very unique and talented and dedicated individuals, and uh, I would not trade that experience for anything, but I would be not happy if my children were to join the military right now because it is not the same military as it was uh, even prior to me joining, even when I joined, it wasn't quite the same military, but I think the the values, the uh, integrity, the entire sanctity of the of being a soldier, a lot of that has been removed now. It, it's changed. It's uh, evolved and, or de-evolved, I should say. It's de-evolved. And um, so I would not be very happy if my children were in the military right now either. Mm. Well, again, this is an acknowledgement of, of what happens to our soldiers if they survive the battlefield. The treatment they can expect when they return home is horrific. It's horrendous. And for those of you who say you support the troops and you don't support their access, for instance, to cannabis, for one, much less other forms of natural alternatives, as, as they call it. I wish it wasn't called an alternative because I think the allopathic should be the alternative when nothing else works as opposed to the other way around. Uh, but, uh, you know, on this uh, Memorial Day, again, acknowledging... So it's a long history, obviously, uh, of military, military uh, service and, and, and sacrificing people's lives on the, uh, well, the ultimate cost for liberty. If, if you believe that um, the incursions around the world are or not, that's a, a moment, uh, well, a different t- day for discussion there. But I do want to talk about the ways to remediate these real issues, whether they be uh, vaccine injections or toxic poisons in the form of FDA-approved pharmaceuticals, because there's a a story here at Medical Express, a headline reads, most popular vitamin and mineral supplements provide no health benefit, study says. Now, this doesn't get me angry to see a headline like this. I mean, I look I'll, if I go to the studies and I'll say, well, a lot of the times they use synthetic chemical vitamins, which is pharmaceutical light, and I, you know, I don't advocate them, even though there can be uses for it, as we've talked about, synthetic amino acids to use to claw out the uh, heavy metals uh, through intravenous chelation. But at the same time, they kind of use the moment to kind of destroy anybody's confidence if they have any or lack of confidence in dietary supplements. The next article on Medical Express says this, improving drug treatments with natural products. And here they talk about things like turmeric and cocoa butter and beeswax. They're they're saying, we add that into our drugs and suddenly the drugs work better. And like, which way do you want it? Which way do you get to have it? And if they're going to work better with the good stuff, what what about if we remove all the drug bad stuff and only use the good stuff? Might we be better in better shape for that? Well, if I tell you what one of my secrets is, Robert, you already know what one of my secrets is of how to get optimum results in individuals. But, of course, if I say it right now, and I'm live on Facebook right now, we're on the radio, I don't know where all we're going, wouldn't be much of a secret. But I'll, I'll go ahead and say it because my patients know this. One of the things... 
things, this comes back to the philosophy, comes back to also uh, what I discussed in the book, but one of the key components, in my opinion, in achieving optimum health is to get rid of those things that impede metabolic processes within our body. And pharmaceuticals, by definition, impede metabolic processes. They stop the enzymatic reactions, the catalytic Enzyme is like a catalytic converter in the body. So an enzyme allows and facilitates a reaction from taking place. Pharmaceuticals will inhibit enzymes. They inhibit metabolic pathways. They, they block certain um, reactions from occurring. In fact, many of the various types of drugs are actually named as blockers or inhibitors. You've got calcium channel inhibitors. You've got beta blockers. They've even got the names describing what they're doing. They're blocking the way the system works. And when you take into consideration that there's over 100,000 reactions taking place per second per cell in the body. And then you know how many cells are in the body, and that's actually, I've got that in the book, I think it's like uh, 2.9 to, I don't know, 29 or 27 zeros. It's just, it's, it's a huge number. That's the number of cells. Then take that time to 100,000 for the number of reactions taking place per second. So it's, insane the number of reactions taking place in our body, and yet we think that we we're so arrogant, so presumptuous as humans, that we think that we can actually recognize and realize the impact of blocking one of those reactions and how that will have a downstream cascade that will result, that, that it's not going to affect the body. Of course it's going to affect the body. That, there's so many different things in the body that we still, to this day, don't understand. When we talk about a reaction, we may know the precursor, we may know the end result, but we don't know all the thousands of intermediaries that may take place instantaneously to achieve that, that end. For example, cholesterol to testosterone or to um, estrogen, okay? So the precursor of testosterone and estrogen, one's a female hormone, one's a male hormone. But the precursor that's, component, that's common to both of them is progesterone. So progesterone will convert to testosterone or will convert to estrogen. And then, of course, you got different types of estrogens. But when you go all the way back to that cascade, where does it all start from? It starts from the cholesterol molecule. Well, how many other intermediaries does that cholesterol molecule go through to eventually become testosterone or progesterone? And he, or, I'm sorry, testosterone or estrogen. And here's the amazing thing. Now we've got lipid drugs. We've got uh, what we call statin drugs that are designed to decrease the amount of lipids in our body by blocking cholesterol metabolism or altering cholesterol metabolism. But what's happening downstream to all the sex hormones? When you do that, just one example, but the point is, um, coming back to the secret, is to just get people, just get people off their pharmaceuticals. Now, you can't just say get off your pharmaceuticals because sometimes people have withdrawal issues. Sometimes they, those pharmaceuticals, because they don't have enough of the nutritional components helping to balance them, that maybe that pharmaceutical is giving them some type of uh, relief, but it's not actually long-term beneficial. I have no problem using any kind of pharmaceutical as long as it's for seven days or less. That's my rule. To, to overcome a, a, an extraordinary issue for temporary measures. Right. But to give somebody certain types of drugs where they may have a magnesium deficiency, sure, you can help to alleviate some of the symptomology, but mm -hmm. by not giving them magnesium and giving them some kind of drug that's inhibiting that, that uh, response in the body, to, that the feedback to the body is just going to cause long-term effects. Dr. Matar, sometimes I wonder yeah. who teaches who in terms of the medical industrial complex and the military industrial complex. You get what the military's about. They're supposed to kill people and break things to dominate and win, right? right? The medical system uses that same concept, but you lose 
when they win. You know, they destroy yeah. things. They go, they take the napalm approach as opposed to saying, hey, what's in there that's gone awry? Why has it gone awry? Is there something there that shouldn't be there, like you just said? Or is there something that isn't there that should be there that we should give? And of course, we know, you know, if you're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Batar, there's no such thing as a drug deficiency disease. It does not exist. Yet why is every symptom treated that way at the VA, in allopathic hospitals, right? Where does it begin? The drugs? The vaccines? Where does it lead? We'll go there next with Dr. Batar. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Robert Scott Belcher. Each and every week we go and do some advanced medicine, courtesy of our good buddy, Dr. Rashid Batar. His book, international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Websites galore, including advancedmedicine.com. Those of you who are not already members for all the accessibility you want to get information we can't even speak about on the radio. Uh, there's an invitation code at Robert Scott Bell Show website, 1358-1358. But, uh, Dr. Batar, we've been doing this for many years and have hundreds and hundreds of hours of archives available to you. A searchable database over at advancedmedicine.com used to be over at medicalrewind.com. So if you're new to the show or advanced medicine, you got a lot of catching up to do. Well, Robert, um, one of the comments I just saw, there's a lot of there's some really nice uh Nice uh, comments that are coming in. In fact, people that I haven't heard from in years. Here's one from April. Uh, learned a lot from you, Dr. Batar, while you treated my severely autistic son and daughter. Um, there's, there's a couple of pretty interesting comments, but one of the comments was volume could be a little a bit louder. And I would like to know from Super Don how the volume can be turned up so that people on Facebook can, and I assume it's your part, Robert, because they can probably hear me. Yeah, your local, whatever whatever audio speaker that's feeding into your microphone out to your Facebook Live, it would have to be cranked I think, up. I think the phone is just on speakerphone. You just you just have to get try and get it closer to the microphone that you're yeah. you're talking. So that what whatever I'm saying, they can hear it better. Otherwise, again, the, these systems to upgrade them a little bit more fancy and technical, we would need to get some kind of millennial support there. Got it. So here's okay. So Robert, you go ahead. I've got a couple of interesting things that are that have happened just in the few, last few minutes, and I just, it's just ignorance on my part, not knowing how to deal with it. But let's just continue on with the show, and then no problem. We'll deal with the technical aspect later. All right. So we were talking about the the overwhelming response of let's say the military to a threat, which is what you want. You if you're really you're targeting to win, defeat the enemy, that's appropriate. But when your enemy is the body you're likely to kill it, if not outright kill it, debilitate it to such a degree that it becomes artificially dependent upon more toxic poisons. This is the allopathic Western medical molecular reductionist model. And we look at the next story here, and you can pull it up uh, from the show notes at robertscottbell.com and Superdon, I'm sure, sent it to you, Dr. Bachar. Study finds gut microbiome can control anti-tumor immune function in the liver. Now, 
you know, why I want to bring this up is because much of what modern medicine does, purposefully or inadvertently, even if it's not just antibiotics, because we've seen vaccines have a negative impact on the microbiome, any drug can have a negative impact on the microbiome. If you eat food this Memorial Day weekend, and it's not farm-raised in the sense of free-range feeding on organic, non-GMO feed, grass-fed kind of things, you're likely getting antibiotic residues in with that as well, destroying the microbiome, thus limiting the body's immune system, including very specific anti-tumor immune functions in the liver. This is fascinating. Each week we're learning more about the immune system and the gut relationship. Yeah, the immune system, gut relationship, and in fact, the third thing I'd add to that is brain function. So the gut and the brain and the immune system, they're all very intimately entwined. And it kind of goes back to that old song. You remember the knee bone is connected to the hip bone that's connected to the rib bone or whatever, however the song went. Uh, We tend to, in modern medicine, become super specialized in certain areas of the body. And so we've just got the uh, neurologist that's dealing with the prostate and you've got the cardiologist that's dealing with the heart. Yet there are certain drugs that... Uh, if a patient is on, from a cardiac perspective, will have an impact on their prostate or vice versa. And so recognizing and realizing the uh, connection between some of these systems and how intricate these systems are and how intimate the connections are and how impacting one will have uh, a significant impact on the other, important to understand that. And that's why, again, physiology becomes so crucial to understand how the body works. And I think guidance textbook of physiology, or for that matter, any textbook of physiology is it's the most important part of medicine in my in my opinion in fact i'm looking so, in my library right now and all the different physiology textbooks i have mm-hmm. you know and just just i've got i've got so many different physiology textbooks so it's just it's kind of funny <laughs> well and, and many of them were written well prior to our new understanding of the vital relationship between the microbiome and every system in the body including as you said the brain the nervous system So we got to look deeper into this as we're discovering ways to prevent and reverse cancer from within. How do we facilitate the body's ability to do that? Not relying on toxic injected poison. How about that for starters? Yeah, we'll go there. Dr. Raja Bittar is with me each and every week. We go Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check it out, robertscottbell.com, advancedmedicine.com, drbittar.com, B-U-T-T-A-R.com. We'll be right back. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Here we are working on Memorial Day, and it's not like work. I know, I know. When you love what you do, and it's great to get together with Dr. Batar each week and do advanced medicine, we got Super Don making it sound good. Mackenzie's on the board right now, and uh, Dr. Batar's going out through Facebook Live for his fans directly, and we've got it going on through YouTube as well at robertscottbell.com, at RSBell Media on Twitter, at Dr. Batar on Twitter if you want to follow him there as well. And uh, we were just talking about microbiome stuff. You know, just briefly, I want to mention that this morning I, I went out and I met with a, a, a BBC documentarian. You know, he's retiring from the BBC. He's do- doing other documentaries on health and healing. And he interviewed me for, he may have, I don't know if he interviewed you as well. His name is Michael, but 
he uh, talked about faith and cancer and healing, which was beautiful. He was at the truth about cancer. We connected there. So you might have met him, Dr. Batar. But now he wants to do one on uh, frequency and healing and energy and in, in healing. You know, that kind of la- final frontier of healing that I know you embrace, whether it be called homeopathy or other forms of energy medicine. And how do we bridge that gap in terms of all health and healing and every cell in the body? Doesn't every cell have its own frequency? Doesn't the liver have its own frequency when it's healthy versus when it's not healthy? Yeah, actually, every substance has a frequency. And whether it's animate or inanimate, organic or inorganic, everything has a frequency. Everything emanates a frequency. In fact, we refer to things that have a frequency or a resonance, which is another word for frequency, which has a resonance that is beneficial to us as being cell resonant, meaning that it is it has a resonance that is in conjunction with and in line with cellular frequency. And then you can have other, you know, the frequency is, is basically it's an all-encompassing term. Um, there's You can think of it as something that resonates well or resonates in conjunction with cells, or you have things that are not resonant. So those would be considered, it's almost like night and day type of thing. You would think of it as something that is beneficial. There may be higher levels of benefits or lower levels of benefits, or something that's detrimental, and there can be higher levels of detriment or lower levels of detriment. So anything that is cell resonant would be good for us, and the higher the cellular resonance, the more beneficial it will be for us. So you can think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the, that's the next, I say, final frontier, if you will, but... Those who are molecular reductionists, those who are, I wouldn't even call them skeptics because they're, they're like so shut down, they're cult-like devotees of molecular reductionism. They can't conceive of homeopathy or energy medicine in all of its many uh, manifestations. Yet, again, as you talk about cell resonance, how about cell signaling? Isn't this about more than just molecules being exchanged? Yes, absolutely. Cell signaling is more than just molecules being exchanged. So cells can be signaled not just with molecules, but by light, for example. Photons can help to signal certain reactions in the, within the um, physiology. You can have sound that can signal. You can have charge that can signal. So it's not just the exchange of molecules. It's... Uh, it's a way of communication, and there's many different ways of communicating. You can communicate just like we are, we, you know, through a computer, Wi-Fi, through a phone, through satellite, through smoke signals, through, you know, whatever, direct communication. It's the same thing. So self-signaling can occur using many different modalities of communication. So this is, again, when we talk advanced medicine, it embraces these concepts that are not typically accepted as standard of care as you've said dr batar over so many years why would i want to do the standard of care it's substandard it's beneath you know what we would call excellence or advancements or advanced medicine and again that concept i think i wish more doctors of all stripes if you will would embrace that we don't go with status quo because status quo is killing more people than even the military industrial complex every year this is in the peer-reviewed literature it's not an unknown but the embracing of that advanced medicine is something that frightens those who want to control and monopolize the flow of money associated with their remedies, which, as you said so eloquently last segment, 
or two segments ago, stops, very much stops normal physiological, optimal physiological functions by force, paying little to no attention to untoward what they call side effects, but also are direct effects of those drugs that they didn't intend to have happen. Yeah, so the supplements on the other side um, enhance reactions as opposed to impeding reactions. And so I think we should always try to enhance something and remove out of the body things that impede progress. They impede these pathways, impede metabolic reactions from taking place. So from a general 35,000-foot elevation perspective, the general components we should think about are, one, get rid of what the body doesn't need, i.e. detoxification, to replenish what the body does need, uh, items such that are items that are cell resonant, meaning they have a resonance, they have a frequency that's conducive to our cellular structure, that the body needs to be functioning in an optimum state, and that many times due to our modern day society, we're, def- we're deficient in. So there's a deficit of these things, such as minerals and vitamins and other types of components within the nutrition that we're lacking. So look at it from two different perspectives. You enhance supplementation, give the body what it needs, and you remove things that shouldn't be in the body, i.e. detoxification. And the rift between those two, as you have improvement in supplementation and a decrease in toxicity, you're going to actually increase the quality of your life and increase lifespan. Vice versa, you increase the toxicity and decrease your supplementation and decrease your nutritional components. That that width, uh, the, 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 the widening of that, of that um, void there is going to be really the, it's going to be directly correlated with disease. So mm-hmm. the more toxicity you have and the less nutrition that you have, as that gap widens, so does the propensity to acquire pathology or develop pathology. There's another article here, Dr. Batar, and I think it goes to the heart of displacing minerals, forcing or stopping things from happening. Of course, when you remove the minerals key to metabolic functions, what do you replace them with? In the case of the vaccinated paradigm, um, there's an unvaccinated study of mice versus vaccinated study of mice linking now the hepatitis B vaccine to autism. And a great article by your friend J.B. Handley, you know this guy, and he does an excellent work talking about a study out of China, one of the top 10 universities in China. And they did an, a vax versus unvax study on mice and link hep B now to autism. So what's happening in autism? Is it a displacement of key minerals in receptor sites replaced by heavy metals, whether it be mercury, aluminum, or otherwise? Well, heavy metals will cause pathology or disease. But before I answer this, I, this is for those that are listening. Uh, again, Robert is really, really, really good at this. You know, he sets up the other person to look like a hero that they know so much. But but he knows this because we've covered this so many times. And even before that, I'm sure he knew it. So this is another one of those alley-oops, and he's saying he has to <laughs> slam the ball through the hula. I appreciate Robert. But anyway, have you, I just wanted everybody to know that Robert, sometimes he asks these questions. He knows the answers himself. But um, the heavy metals have three different major ways that they can affect the physiology. So you've got the oxidative injury aspect, which all heavy metals, and it's not just heavy metals, but it's organic pollutants and all the different seven toxicities we talk about, you know, your emotional, psychological state, uh, spiritual state, that all lead to oxygen. So the first and foremost way that heavy metals affect the body is through oxidative injury. The second is through displacement, as you just mentioned. So the heavy metals come in, 
push the minerals out and then replace the minerals and then try to act as an enzymatic cofactors, but basically lock down the system so the engine no longer works properly. So that's the second way is displacement of minerals. And the third one, which is relatively rare, when I say relatively, maybe maybe you know, three, four, five percent of the people have this, and that's the allergenicity component, where the person is actually allergic to the heavy metal. So those people are actually worse off because they everybody is susceptible to the oxidative injury aspect of heavy metals. Everybody, most people are, uh, in fact, everybody is also vulnerable to the displacement of minerals aspect from the, uh, from the injury from heavy metals. But not everybody is prone to allergenicity. So that's, that's the component we got to deal with. we got to deal with all three. Somebody who's allergic to heavy metals will have to deal with the allergenicity comp- component, too. So they've just been, you know, basically beaten three times when they've got yeah. heavy metals that they're allergic to. Dr. Batar, if I can ask you about a little bit more to elaborate on the allergenicity, and I appreciate the alley-oop comment, but I'm sincere in asking this. Because when we think of allergies, we think of reacting to proteins uh, primarily. And, you know, maybe you can expand on what they mean by allergenicity specific to heavy metals. Like, you know, why wouldn't everybody react the same way? Why do some people react even more, uh, you know, because, you know, we've seen people with mercury toxicity that seemingly can move about life with little or no problem. And then some that are paralyzed, literally in wheelchairs, and then having that mercury removed, they're up and walking again. So we recognize that not everybody is impacted to the same degree. Well, actually, I've got a lady right now that she was the first person that commented on Facebook. Uh, Robert, you met her at one of the advanced medicine seminars. She's a lady that was in a wheelchair literally for six or seven years. And if you remember, I asked the question uh, about um, if I said something about, you know, how many people are willing to walk into the fire, you know, willing to put your life on the line. You remember that? And she yes. and her husband both raised their hands. And I told them to put their hands down because that doesn't count because, we, you know, she was the one that was in a wheelchair for six years, and then she was walking after we treated I'll never her. never forget so that. She didn't count. That's right. So Barbara actually was listening to Facebook. So hi, Barbara, from Robert and myself here. Um, so to answer your question, the allergenicity aspect, it's why is it that some people have this four or five percent of people have this and other people don't. Well, it's the same thing as why do four or five percent of the people, or maybe more, more than that, five, ten percent of the people, have a severe anaphylactic reaction after they've uh, bitten into a strawberry or when they've been stung by a bee. But most people, when they get stung by a bee, they don't have the anaphylactic reaction. They don't have the tightening of the airway. They, they just have a reaction and it's localized and it's painful, but it's not systemic. So why is that? It's basically biological individuality and genetic predisposition to have a hyperimmune response to that particular trigger, that particular antigen or haptin. Anything that elicits a reaction like that is considered an antigen or a haptin. So it's basically the, the triggering of an allergic response, and some people are allergic to things, and, but they're not allergic to other things. In other words, when somebody has an allergy to something, it's not necessarily they have an allergy to everything. There are people that have that are more allergic, uh, have more allergies to many different substances, but most people have an allergy to something specific. And so yeah. that's really the same thing with the metal. Some people happen to have an allergy to certain metals. I appreciate you relating that deeper. I, I was that, you know the poster boy for almost every allergy. And although I wasn't paralyzed by the mercury, it certainly didn't do me any good in terms of many functions that were compromised, including immunity, including digestion and other skeletal issues I suffered with. So, folks, pay attention. Advanced Medicine continues. One more segment today before we wrap it up on this Memorial Day with Dr. Batar. Did you say that masked man was? It's a bird! It's a plane! It's...
Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Advanced medicine way on the brakes. We're doing advanced physics, quantum physics. Dr. Rasha Bittar. Uh, Dr. Bittar, I don't know if you saw this article and if you have a comment on it. If not, we'll move along in our final segment. The obesity paradox. People hospitalized for infections are twice as likely to survive if they are overweight or obese. This was a study of more than 18,000 patients in Denmark presented at this year's European Congress on Obesity in Vienna. Had you ever heard of this, that people surviving infection more likely to be overweight? Well, actually, yes. Um, And the reason is that they have more reserves in place. If a person is, you know, when a person's obese, they have more fat stores to basically... uh, help them bridge the gap of the nutritional deficit. Uh, that's, I have actually heard that. And so there's certain, when you look at trauma, for example, in some of the trauma work when I was uh, in general surgery residency and especially doing my trauma rotations, that was one of the things we saw. People that were extremely fit with a lot of mean body mass would be able to deal with blunt trauma better, and people that were obese were able to deal with... Um, um, things such as um, when you go into multi-organ system failure after blunt trauma or even penetrating trauma, um, they just had more resources in their body. So mm-hmm. if your body, you lose a lot of mass quickly and waste away pretty quickly when you have um, multi-organ system failure. And this is a case where people are in intensive surgical uh, intensive in a surgical intensive care unit, and they're having to be given cortisol just so that their body can deal with all the stress that they're going through. And a person that's obese actually deals with that better. And a person that's been in that blunt trauma with lean body mass, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, the, like bodybuilders and stuff, would actually do better there because they had more muscle or more fat to insulate them. So I have heard that before, yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. This is not us advocating uh, morbid obesity as a way of life, but... Uh, in terms of acknowledging and, and, and trying to understand these pathways, how they are distinct and different. Of course, the risk we have, it's one thing to be obese or, let's say, overweight on healthy organic food because you like it so much you eat a lot of it. But if you're eating processed food, empty calorie food, and gaining weight, yeah, you may have fat, but it's diluted. Uh, well, it's diluting the toxic burden of the body very often, and I think it's a different carrier, if you will, or what's in the carrier called fat cells. is not just stored energy at that point. Um, I would I would agree with you. Um, also, sometimes people, when they get morbidly obese, there's a there's a, a nutritional deficit that they have that they're trying to body trying to achieve, and so they are trying to consume this food and trying to get that whatever that mineral or whatever that vitamin or whatever they're missing, and they'll continue to eat because of the the satiation centers of the brain have been thrown off. So they're trying to acquire a particular nutrient that may be deficient in but they're not getting it, so they keep on eating, and then the body becomes larger and larger because there's more input, less output, but the thing that they're deficient in, they're not getting. Uh, another issue with obesity is that sometimes sometimes an individual gets in this uh, cascade, this spiraling, if you will, and basically what it comes down to is the body is starving 
they're seeing, they're trying to eat more, and even though they're consuming more calories, they're not consuming what they need from a nourishment standpoint, so they're in a relative state of starvation. And they're just because they're not being able to absorb the nutrients because their guts are off. So this comes back to the microbiome. If they are not able to absorb the nutrients, but they're consuming more and more calories than they're being stored as fat and, and the actual nutrient value that the cells need to be able to nourish themselves, um, it, it's just not the, the task of eating is not accomplishing that task of nourishing right. the cells. And so you would think that an obese person is overnourished. That's not always the case. In fact, more often than not, an obese person is undernourished. Nutritionally, they're they're undernourished. Their cells are undernourished. They're they're getting a lot of calories, but they're not nourishing their cells. Does that make sense, Robert? Oh yeah, we've heard Americans are the most overfed and undernourished people on planet Earth, based on refined foods, based on uh, synthetic, if you will, additives to those foods, displacing what we talked about minerals, the heavy metal injections we talk about, and that about right. you know brings us to I guess the finale in terms of advanced medicine this week. I want to acknowledge those families of veterans who have sacrificed lives to uh, protect liberty, and we want to protect veterans of the future. Uh, so get the word out to the Pentagon and otherwise that your kids are not medical experiments when they go into the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or Coast Guard. But that's a bigger message for another day, but I'll plant that seed. Dr. Batar, anything else to wrap it up here as we go? No, for all those soldiers that are still out there and deployed all over the world, we send you a message of appreciation and love and hope that you are able to come back to your family soon. And with that, Dr. Batar, tell them what they need to know because it is indeed time to go. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show.